0: Listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.church. Uh, well, everyone has that one year in school that was just the worst. Uh, mine uh, was fourth grade, and it entirely surrounded one human being, uh, my teacher. Uh, we will call her Miss K for liability purposes and uh, Miss K was, I'm not gonna say she's a monster, that's too far, what I am gonna say is nine-year-old me thought she was a monster. She she may have been sweet as pie, I don't know. But when I was nine, she was the worst human I'd ever met. Now, uh, she, she uh, my experience of her was she kind of had a vendetta against me. She was out to get me. But more than that, I felt like there was like a, a mission against men in her class. I felt like she was sexist. It was like all girls, none, none of the boys. We're, we're, we need some of this love. I'll give you an example. We sit down. She's pregnant uh, that year. And, and the story hour happens. And she sits down. And she takes off her shoes. And she has all the girls come around. And then they just like for the whole story hour, there's massaging her feet. And cl- I know. It's disgusting. I repudiate it. It's it's the worst. I couldn't stomach it. And what's funny to me is as I kind of reflect on on that and how and my beef with her, how my beef with her really turned into like beef with everything she ever taught too. So like um, I'm out on math now, just in general, just math. Like I, my kids are like, why should I study this? I'm like, I don't know, Miss K. I don't. There's no there's no reason for you to know math, really. Uh, it's, it's tough, but there is something connected. And isn't this just the truism of life? How you see a person uh, is eventually kind of how you see their message, right? This is how it goes, like like when a pastor stumbles in sin and you see it on the news or whatever, something like that. Uh, what inevitably happens is it's not just that pastor that gets taken down. Most of the time it's that pastor and his church or sometimes even the denomination, right? Because there's, so, there's like this tethering between the person and then their, their message. How we see a person is how we often see their message. Or to say it a different way, the message loses credibility when a person loses credibility, yeah? And, and so that's, in many ways, that's what's happening in the text today. Uh, we were just in chapter eight with Rodney last week, and uh, Paul was teaching about whether uh, Christians could eat meat sacrificed to idols and how they ought to lay down their freedoms for the sake of others, all that. But then chapter nine starts, and if you're just kind of reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter nine might hit you a little weird because he moves from like these teaching moments to now it's all like a first person Pronouns, like he he opens with, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Verse three, he goes, This is my defense to those who would examine me. And you're just like, Whoa, Paul, what are you talking about? Like, what we were just talking about, like cultic temple practices, and now, why are you getting like this? Who's, Who's examining you? And the truth is, there were people examining Paul, kind of humming behind the scenes all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians is this reality. Paul was being uh, put on trial in a lot of ways by the people who he was teaching uh, paul paul was uh, his credibility was being questioned by a number of folks in the church in corinth his His behavior was coming under some scrutiny okay so like uh, what I mean is he was he was doing weird things according to some of the folks in the church, and they didn 't like it it was so weird that some of them were like calling him out as maybe an illegitimate apostle. Like maybe this guy isn't even who he says he is. And Paul knows that these things are going. And he also knows that if he loses credibility, so does his message. So, he's got to do a little damage control. He's got to do a little PR here. And so, so that's kind of what's happening. So, before he goes any further with instructions, he wants to keep teaching about what he's doing in, in chapter eight. And he's going to carry that on through chapter 10. But before he can do that kind of work, he's kind of got to pull the car over for a moment and deal with some of these accusations. Because he's going, you're not going to hear a word I have to say if you think I'm a hack, right? That's, that's really what he's saying. So, let, let's deal with that. And, you know, if you had to uh, summarize, the work he's doing in 1 Corinthians 1. Like, what is the main thing that he's saying? Like, what are the, the cliff notes to this chapter? Uh, you could probably go to verse 23, and it would give you your answer. Why is Paul living the way he does? Why is his life making, why is he making life so unnecessarily hard for himself? Why is he doing these types of things? He gives us the answer at the end of our text today when he says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel." So if you're looking for just like a header over this whole chapter, that is Paul's logic. Everything, if my behavior looks weird to you, it's only because I have had my life turned upside down by this man named Jesus, and I can't go back anymore. And and so what we're about to see is that far from not having credibility, Paul's actions, his behaviors are actually putting on display some, some beautiful realities about the gospel, two of them uh, in particular. Paul is about to show us in the way he's living his life, in the way he's bending over backward for people, he's, he's putting on display these two realities, and they're very simple. It's this, one, that the gospel is for free, and two, that the gospel is for all. That's chapter, that's chapter nine. That the gospel is for free and the gospel is for all. And I am going to live in such crazy ways to convince you that it's true. That's what Paul's doing. Okay? So, what are we doing this morning? Well, we're really doing a couple things. We, we are watching him bend over backward to, to make these two things very clear in his life and his ministry. We're going to watch it. He's going to give a defense of his actions. In this, so, we're going to watch that unfold, but the deeper work for us today, and this is the question I just want you to keep right out in front of yourself as we're studying this, this whole time together. I, I want you to be asking yourself this. As we're looking at Paul, you need to be asking your heart this, do I see the gospel like Paul sees the gospel? Do I, do I experience it like that? Is, it so, is the news about Jesus Christ, listen, is it so valuable to me that I'm willing to tie my life up in all kinds of knots if it would only mean that more people could see the beauty of Jesus in the gospel? Like, am I, is it so valuable to me that I'm willing to suffer loss for it and, and, and lose face for it? Or is it what it is for so many Christians where it's this bit of news over here that got me saved? This is the stuff that I believed in. I, I, I said yes and amen to Jesus died on the cross for my sins and now I'm in the club. Is it that or is it your everything in such a way that I'm going to build and bend my whole life around it so that you might know him? That's the question I, I want us to keep in front of ourselves as we're going along today. So let's get into it. Um, if you have your Bible, get it out. 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Uh, the first thing um, Paul's weird life is pointing us to is that the gospel is for free. Now, how is that the case? W- what were the weird things he was doing that w- was highlighting this and that the Corinthians were so upset by? Here's the charge that uh, some people in the Corinthian church were bringing to Paul. Um, <laughs> it's, it's different. Here's, the, here's the, the big offense they have with him. Paul, you're not charging us. That's what it is. Uh, it's weird. I get it. Uh, Paul, uh, you, uh, you won't take our money, and we don't like it. We sure would like you to. Sincerely, the Corinthian church. That's the thing that he's responding to here. Now, let me give you some historical context if you, in case you feel like that's a weird beef that they have with them. Uh, here's what we know about Corinth at that time, and we talked about this in chapter one. Uh, Corinth, uh, kind of a port city. It was a city that loved itself a good TED Talk. Okay? It loved... Like traveling, teachers and preachers coming through, wise philosophers. It loved having good rhetorists come through town, bringing their wise, lofty message. And the, here's how it worked in Corinth. You would show up into town. You would kind of set up shop. I've got something to say. People would put the, the change in your hand, and then you'd begin speaking, right? So I teach you something. You give me something in exchange. And that's how this thing works, right? It's a, kind of an exchange of goods and services. And And what was happening in that whole deal, and there's nothing really fundamentally wrong with that. What's happening in that whole deal, that exchange, is that fee was communicating something. It was communicating credibility, right? It was communicating value. If I charge you to come hear me, it means I've got something to say. It means I've got something worth spending some money on, right? If, if I don't charge you, that looks suspicious. It looks suspect. And that's exactly what Paul is doing, whereas everybody else in that climate right there were, were charging for, for them to open up their mouth. Paul was super not doing that. He was charging them nothing. Everything he did, he was doing that for free, and it was making him suspect to the people who were used to having to pay for this kind of help and information. Does that make sense? Well, now, Well Why? B- because no legitimate professional works for free, right? And, and we know this, right? Um, I'm getting my, uh, uh, we're redoing our, our kitchen right now. I got three bids in. I ended up going with the highest one, partly because I'm an idiot, but partly because the other ones were so low. I just, I don't buy it, man. I know what I'm asking you to do. And I'm sniffing a, I'm sniffing something. I don't like it. Now imagine one of those three bids. Imagine one guy comes and he specs out the kitchen. He goes, okay, walls, countertop. Okay. And he goes, okay, here's, here's your bid, sir. This is, a, we got it up. Okay, it's going to be $0. I would love to do this for zero. Question, are you hiring zero dollar guy? Is it, I'm not hiring zero dollar guy. I want to pay you money so I can look at you and say it's wrong when it's wrong, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I need out of this relationship. But Paul is not doing any of that. Uh, and, and it's weird because no one who's legit is free. And Paul was free and it's confusing to them. Here's what they're thinking. Does this guy not think he has any authority? Like he's supposed to be the Apostle Paul, capital A. Like does he not does he think he doesn't have much to offer because when he's not charging me that's what it's communicating to me does he think he not he doesn't have the the right to get paid and you see it's a, now they're like dude i don't even know if i can listen to this guy can i listen to a chapter 8 9 10 from this guy i don't know paul's go let me let me clear that up paul has something to say now what is paul going to say to this charge. Well, he is going to give his reason for why he works for free. But before he does that, he wants to just go on record. And this is what m- most of chapter nine is. He wants to go on record, clearing up that though he doesn't get paid, it's not because he shouldn't get paid. So that's what most of, of chapter nine is. Just so you know, you should pay me. Okay. And, and here's his three arguments. I, I, I love the Bible. Um, here's his three arguments. He makes an argument from life, an argument from law, and an argument from the Lord. That's how it goes. Look at verse 7. So, in, in making his case that he ought to get paid for what he is doing for them, he says this Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard? without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? In other words, he's saying, hey, I just want you to look around at how life works for a moment. Here's how life works. I do something, I get something. That's how life works. You work, you get cared for. You work, you get paid. You work, you get a meal. You work, you get a bed. That's that's how this thing works. You look around, this is how all of life operates. You're telling me a soldier is gonna go fight for his country, but he's gotta go to Target and use his own credit card to buy his uniform beforehand? You, no, that's not how it works. You tell me he, does, he he has to go find his meal before he goes out to battle? No, that's the job of his country to supply that for him. It's because if I'm working, I get paid. It's just how life operates. you telling me if I own a vineyard, I'm not popping some grapes in my mouth? I'm eating those grapes because it's my vineyard because I'm working, right? If you work, you get compensated. It's just how life works. But he goes deeper than that. He's going, hey, it's not, just, uh, it's not just like how it operates out there. This is like from the very heart and mind of God to you that this is how it should work. He says in verse eight, uh, do I say these things on human authority? Meaning, is it just that I'm making like a good observation about the world? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. Now that's a weird thing to quote. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25, 4, and you know, where Moses is talking, and he's saying, Hey, if you've got an ox that's doing the work of treading out the grain, don't cover its snout, don't cover its mouth, right? Let let the guy eat, let him munch, right? Because he's what? He's doing work for you. So you sh- you should let him benefit from his labor. And Paul spiritualizes this when he goes on. He says, is it, not for, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? He's saying that that is in, in many ways an analogy that God is making for us, saying it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. Now listen to this. He breaks it down. Look, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it not too much if we reap material things from you? Saying, look, I started this church, guys. I, I, We have, so, me and Barnabas, we've labored hard to see you like flourish. Like we, we are doing that kind of work for you. And so is it not appropriate that if we are laboring to see spiritual growth happen in you, that you would provide us materially so that we could continue that relationship? It makes it a lot of sense. It's, it's what the scripture says. But then if that wasn't enough, he plays the ultimate trump card. He's about to say, plus Jesus said so, right? Verse 14, he says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So in every way you can imagine, Paul is saying, I ought to be compensated. Paul's making it very clear. He has the right to be paid. Folks who work in service of the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It's what the Bible has taught from cover to cover. Paul's affirming it, he says life affirms it, Jesus himself affirms it, this is how it should work. I, I got to spend this whole week studying 23 verses because you paid me to. I'm so thankful for that. I, I didn't have to do a night shift at, at uh, FedEx. I, I, could, I could just do this to help serve you with this truth. And that's one of the functions of our giving at church. It's to enable guys like me and Rod and the pastoral staff and the staff in general to come alongside you to be workers with you for your joy, like Second Corinthians 1 says. That's what we are, are all about. We want to sow spiritual life into you. And Paul's saying, hey, and it's appropriate for you to be compensated for that labor so that I can spend all my time just thinking about how to make this make sense for your everlasting good. So thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but th- th- my point in saying that is some folks have argued from this text that, uh, that Paul is commending not getting paid for uh, laboring for the gospel. And I'm saying that's, that could be farther from what the text is saying. Paul's actually arguing the opposite of it. He is saying it's the right of every gospel worker to be compensated. Okay, well then what's up with you, Paul? Right, that's the, that's the question. If it's, if it's true that Jesus really said, hey, like, you guys should take care of folks who serve you the gospel truth, th- then why is Paul so weird? Like, wh- why, are, why are you making such a weird decision for yourself? Paul, do you know how much harder Paul's life is because he does this. Paul had to go like teach in synagogue all day, and then he had to go pack up stuff, and then he had to go make tents all night so he'd have enough supplies to sell the next day so that he could have some income to eat and live and sleep. Like He didn't have to do that. He's saying life, the law, and the Lord have all told me I don't have to do it, but I'm doing it anyway, so why are you so weird? Why are you doing this, Paul? And his answer is this. I am doing this. I am forfeiting my right for compensation to secure something I want even more than that. What is it? That the freeness of the gospel would shine brighter. That's what I'm doing. Look at verse 12. He says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, the right to be paid. But, and here comes his reason, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Why don't I charge you anything to preach? Because I see payment as creating an obstacle between you And the gospel. Okay, well, why? how, How might, here's the work before us. How might taking payment confuse the Corinthians about the gospel of Jesus? In what way does that confuse them about the gospel of Jesus? Well, to answer that question, we have to answer the prior question, which is, what is the gospel of Jesus? Maybe we can answer that. We can answer this one. And if you just had to boil it down to talk about the gospel, you might say something like this. We were made for God, but we rejected God. And now in our sin, we owe a great debt to God. Yeah? And there are only two possibilities for payment now. It is either I could pay my fine permanently away from you in hell through your righteous judgment on me for my violation of your law. I could, that, that's one payment, or a substitute could pay. And the message of the gospel, as we know, is that in God's kindness and in his mercy, though we deserve to pay the fine, God had his son pay the fine for us. And that is everything to Paul. What's, at the, what's kind of like right in the heart of, of what the gospel even is to Paul is this word free. It is free or it is nothing. He's obsessed with the idea of the freedom of the gospel. It, th- th- that's one really helpful way to even think about what the gospel is. It is, it is God freely giving you everything. But the word free's got to be there. So much so that Paul's going to look at the Galatian church in Galatians chapter one. He's going to say, hey, if either we or an angel from heaven should tell you anything other than this gospel that is totally free, not based on works, but based on God's favor on you, if anybody should tell you anything other than that, let him be anathema. Let him be condemned. In other words, that guy can go to hell. That's the Greek. It's so important to Paul, to preserve the freedom of the gospel. At the heart of the news of Jesus is the word free. That's why he says what he says in verse 18. Look at it with me. He says, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. Do you hear it? So as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Okay, let's step back. Let Let me just say what he's saying. He's saying, you need to know And you need to know, you need to know that God isn't charging to save you. He's not charging, y'all. He is not charging. And I don't ever want you to get the impression that he is. And here's my concern. If I start charging you to even hear this news, I'm afraid you're going to get it twisted. I I can charge you, Jesus told me I could. But I'm, I'm concerned enough to preserve this word free in the message of the gospel that I'm getting so far away from the line so you won't ever question that it's really free, like actually free. I'm not gonna be the guy who rolls into Corinth like everybody else and puts out my box and you put coins in and then I start talking like a monkey on a chain. I'm not going to do that for you, right? This is not payment for services rendered. The gospel is not payment for services rendered. That is the anti-gospel, and I never want you to think that it is the gospel, so I will not charge you, so that you will know God isn't charging you to save you. He charged his son instead. That's Paul's deep concern. I want you to know free is right there in the heart of this thing, and I'm not even touching money if it means you'd get confused that he's offering this to you because another paid Oh man, I remember um, colliding with the word free for the first time, um, 15 years old. I've told you guys the the story before, but I I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And and I had all kinds of addictions and all, all this stuff. And I was just a big mess. I had a really large conscience about it and knew that I am not okay with him. Whatever I am, I'm not okay with him. I definitely had this sense of if I could maybe get 10 or 12 good things under my belt, maybe we could talk. And then my friend Brooks had me over to his house. We went upstairs and sat on the couch. And he told me about the word free in the gospel, that it was free. That what Jesus has come to do was to pay the debt that I feel like I have to work off in order for God's smile to come on me. Jesus did that for me so that I could have it, no charge. And I just wept, man, when I met free for the first time. Free is a good thing. And it's such a good thing that Paul doesn't even want to touch payment if it would confuse you one drop about it. So he's not saying everybody has to do it, but he is saying, for me, I can't go there. I won't go there. Paul is giving up his rights To prove the gospel is for free. Do we see that? Are we clear on what he's up to? But not just that. Paul is giving up. We're about to see this. That kind of phase two of chapter nine is this. He's not just giving up his rights to prove the gospel is for free. He's giving up his reputation to prove the gospel is for all. Look at verse 19. He says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Now what's going on here? Real simple, this is what's happening. Paul, and and this is the Corinthians second beef with Paul. Paul is hanging out with Jews and he's hanging out with Gentiles. And when he does that, he seems perfectly fine in each of those tribes to act exactly like they're acting. And some folks in Corinth are looking at that and they're going, that's weird. It's weird that you would hang out here with them and kind of act like them. And then come over here and act like those guys when you're hanging out with them. It was unfitting. So when he was with the Jews, he was just, Paul was full Jew, man. So he was doing all the things, all the garb. But In Acts chapter 16, he meets Timothy for the first time. Uh, he realizes the guy's not circumcised and they're going to go minister to Jews. And so they go off and they get that guy circumcised. Do you love Jesus that much? Anybody? No? Okay. So That's happening. I mean, it's full it's full Hebrew happening over there, okay? Uh, he's, it's, it's, uh, it's kosher laws, they're abiding by, it's, it's, he's only eating Hebrew national, right? That's, that's the thing. But then he leaves that party, he comes over to the Gentile party, and it's ballpark Franks, and it's the Dodgers, and no big deal, he's just having a gay old time. And they're very confused by this, right? Because the Jews are looking at him, and they're like, dude, do you not have a backbone? Like, are you just such a flake? You just bend over? just I mean, this is the, what, what is this? And the Gentiles have the same beef with him when he goes over to the Jews. They're like, I thought you were on our team. How come you're acting like that? And the, the charge against Paul is that he's a hypocrite. He's, he's flimsy. He's, he's, uh, he has no spine. He has no conviction. And this is the guy who's saying he's the great apostle? Like I I need my apostle to like draw some lines in the sand, man, like stand up for something. Paul doesn't look like he's standing up for anything. He just be, he's like a chameleon. Just wherever he goes, he turns into that thing, right? It's very weird. And 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 they're kind of asking like what tribe are you in? Cuz we can't tell that's, that's their gripe. We, we don't know where to place you, Paul. What tribe are you in? And Paul's answer essentially is this. I'm in every tribe because the gospel is for every tribe. That's what I'm doing. Just, just in case, let me clarify what's going on here. I am in every tribe because the gospel is for every tribe. Verse 22 says it like this. I love this verse. I have become all things. To all people, that by all means I might save some. It is it's, uh, hard to overstate how subversive that verse is in the first century. You know what I mean? Like, here, like, we're a fairly diverse bunch, and like, we've had the Bible for a long time, so we know that's like a priority to God. Like, we know God cares about this. But like, if you're in the first century and you're hearing Paul saying, like, hey, it actually doesn't matter what tribe you're in. It's like, can we be on Team Jesus and like be okay with that? Like, I'll, I'll bend however I need to if if it means seeing more people say that's un, it's it is a new thought in human history. I was listening to a, a podcast this week. Uh, Russell Moore, Christian author blogger, uh, he um, uh, he's interviewing Rain Wilson. You guys know Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute from The Office, Bears Beats, Battlestar Galactica. Okay, uh, so he's interviewing Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson is not a Christian. Uh, Rain Wilson practices Baha'i. He's from the Baha'i faith, okay? Uh, but they're having this conversation about spiritual things. Rain uh, wrote a new book about it and that, that sort of thing. And um, Rain kind of stops uh, in the conversation to, to just kind of like uh, boast in the Christian message for a bit. It was actually kind of jarring and, and surprising. He stopped everything to just go, you know, it's interesting to think about uh, never before, this is Rain talking, never before in human history up was there such a diverse group of people that could come together under the same banner, under the same message, under the same value system than in the first century? In every other culture, in every other time period prior to the first century, there was, there's never an example that we have in history and literature and anything of disparate groups of people that have nothing in common, that were warring parties, that were warring factions, actually coming together under a unified cause like that until you show up at the first century, and then sometime after 33 AD, it's weird, something changed about that. Like like the tribalism was combated in a really unusual way under the banner of this person named Jesus. And he's just finding that remarkable in this interview that that Jesus has this way about him that he can bring these disparate groups of people together. I mean, imagine for the first time ever, you have Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. You have men and women, slave and free. All of these folks coming, it had never happened before. And, And this is Ray Will, he's not even a Christian. But he's making this observation, and I think he's totally right. The gospel is not tribal, it is viral. The gospel goes everywhere. It will not stay in your clique. It should not stay in your clique. It's meant to spread everywhere. So, so Paul's going, hey, if, if it means, if this good news means that I have to get outside of my clique, that, that I have to potentially tarnish my reputation by, by rubbing shoulders with that group, that group, acting like that those guys, hanging out with those guys. If it means that in order for more people to see and savor Jesus in this gospel, I'm in. I don't care what it takes. I'm willing to give up my reputation to gain something I want more and what I want more is you in the family. I want you in the family. And so I'll do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. I remember seeing this in like such great uh, Technicolor um, years ago. I got married to Kel. And we're just still kind of get to know each other. And I stumbled on her. Uh, she had a, a, a CD booklet from high school. Um, by the way, I'm 150 years old. And, uh, and so CD, and CDs, whole, right? Little flat tire, right? Okay, anyways. Uh, I'm looking through it. And uh, I'm just like, this is the weirdest collection of music I've ever seen. E- either my wife has the broadest musical palette of any human imaginable or something else is going on. It's like, it's like Josh Groban, Rascal Flats, Five Finger Death Punch. You're like, <laughs> what is the... Babe, do you, are you into it? I'm asking her. I'm like, were you, are you into all that? She's like, ah, not really. But, the, but that CD right there, see, I was hanging out with this girl and she was really into this music. So I bought this album and I started listening. I actually kind of like it. And then the Josh Groban era, well, this was this group of people. Then I love to hang out with them. And And she began to tell me about what life was like for her in high school. And it was so amazing. This girl just like, was the anti-tribal person. Lunch, for her, was just the mission field. Are you sitting by yourself? I'm gonna sit with you. Because you don't know Jesus. I do, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, yes, let's, let's hang out, let's integrate our worlds together. The picture that we have on our fridge from years and years ago, her friends from high school. You have an atheist, an agnostic, a Muslim gal there. This was the people that my wife ran with. She just rubbed shoulders with everybody. She didn't commit to any one certain tribe. And the, the net result was, people got to hear a lot about Jesus from her, and it looked really attractive to, to them. And, and I just think that's such a fitting, beautiful picture of what it means to so love the gospel that you don't care about your tribe. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if we could be so liberated to go like, you know, I, I've been living right here in this box, but they need this news. And yes, I, I normally don't roll with that crew, but, but I For the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to forfeit my reputation. I'm willing to forfeit my rights because I love him that much. That's what the news of Jesus does to a human heart. The gospel is not tribal, it is viral. When the gospel looks lovely to us, our rights don't matter anymore. When seeing people come to Jesus looks lovely to us, our reputation doesn't matter anymore. This isn't just for Paul, this is what it means. Guys, listen, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not, Christian, we, we cannot be clicky, we cannot, we cannot be in our little club, guys, that this is what it means to fall in love with the news of Jesus, alive, dead, buried, and raised for us, for sinners. This is what it means, that we would do whatever it takes to see John's vision and in, in Revelation come to fruition. I think it's gotta be the type of thing that Paul has in mind, what's coming one day is seeing that realized one day is such a longing for him that he lives in these crazy ways to see that day come. I'll just, I'm just gonna end by reading uh, the verse for you. This is absolutely coming. One day in the new heavens and the new earth, this is what we will see along with John. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold, A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The gospel is free because the Lamb died. And he purchased for himself people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so I'm not gonna let the news about Jesus just be this cute thing that I embraced when I was eight years old, yay, good for me. And then I got baptized and I'm a Christian now and and now I can just go about my life. I'm gonna see that news as everything for me. It is everything, it changes everything. My rights look stupid and petty in light of this. My reputation doesn't matter in light of this. I'm going to live radically so that others may live forever with Jesus. That is the Christian life. And I commend it to you. And chapter nine commends it to you. And may we ask God to give us that kind of heart for others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, What can we say other than thank you for the gospel? God, thank you for sending your son to die for a sinner like me, for purchasing me, for raising from the grave, for sending your spirit so I'd have a new heart. God, I just can't help, when, when, when we're staring at Paul and his life, which is what chapter nine allowed us to do, I just can't help but feel convicted and just go, man, am I just playing too cute with the gospel or do I see it as everything? I don't know, some days I do, some days I don't. But God, in this room, there's enough people, I just know we all need to embrace the majesty, the wonder, the awesomeness, the shock of the good news of Jesus, that it is free and it is for everyone. Everyone. God, please motivate us with that. Drive us into conversation because of that. Help us pursue our one because of that. Help us to get outside of our comfort zone because of that. Help us to not look for every way to protect our own rights because of that. Help us to boast in Jesus alone so that the world may know him so that Revelation 7 9 could happen. We want it to happen. We love you and we need you. God, transform us even as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.